You are now tuned into anything potable. The most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause. Like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out What's the hospital. Like Antoine when he was Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I am joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, Jay King. Ladies and gentlemen, we are coming to you on a Monday afternoon, December 26th, the day after Christmas, and I think the best Christmas gift for all Celtics fans out there, they relearned how to build the sandcastle they took care of business with a huge win over the milwaukee bucks on christmas that's coming off another pretty big victory against the minnesota timberwolves on friday night that was after a not great stretch of games where they had lots of uh losses and lots of missed threes jay what happened here on Christmas? What was your biggest takeaway? Is it just that Jason Tatum is uh, that dude? Is he he's him Wakefield? I'm not a big fan of the him thing. I only threw it in there because uh, I saw a picture of him wearing that big hat with Wally and the caption him Wakefield. And I just wanted to throw that in there. Him Wakefield's a good one, though. Him Wakefield's a good one. But I, I think the reason I don't like it is because it makes me feel old. Oh, yes, exactly. Because... When I was younger, when words like that popped up and became cool, I was I was on the ground floor of it. And now I feel like I didn't see it or hear it until it became annoying. And that bothers me. Back in my day, we would have called Jason Tatum that dude, you know? But now it's all these other, like, him-based puns. Exactly. Exactly. Although him, Wakefield's a good one. I, 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 will, I will stand by him, Wakefield. <laughs> just throwing a knuckleball out there uh but anyway that third quarter was pretty majestic just the the variety of buckets that he got and the defense he did it against was just kind of so impressive um the the pull up over brooke lopez at the end of a shot clock then the one that really stood out to me and it, it it was like a heat check, but not really what you normally consider a heat check. And it was the one when Tatum caught the ball with Drew Holiday on him. It was early in the shot clock. And normally, if Tatum had Drew Holiday on him, he'd like look for a screen, try to get a different defender, um, go into an action to try to present a, a different opportunity. And he was hot enough. He's like, fuck it. I'm just going to shoot over the top of Drew Holiday. Like, who cares that he's one of the best defenders in the league? Who cares that he's their best perimeter defender? He just went for it and shot a 17-footer step back over the top of Drew Holiday's head, and there was nothing Drew Holiday could do about it. Um, so that was that was just a, a really impressive performance by him uh, in a season of mostly impressive performances. Yeah, he was just like you, he was in the zone. It felt very similar to game six of the playoffs last year where just like any mid-range shot that he was going to take, it felt like he was going to go in. I thought the Celtics did a good job of just getting favorable matchups for him. It felt like anytime Wesley Matthews was in the game, they would try to attack him. They did their best to get uh, Tatum on Grayson Allen. There was that one possession where – um, I think Grayson Allen stood him up initially, but like 
Tatum just like kept working the ball and like eventually just blew past Grayson Allen for an easy layup. It just everything was working for him there. And it felt like as soon as the Celtics kind of jumped out to that, like a, a big lead, they outscored the Bucks 38 to 25 in that third quarter because it was a pretty it was a close first half um, before that. Then the Celtics offense started clicking a bit more and, and kind of the role players, Derek White, Grant Williams, guys started to kind of knock down their open threes because they they were playing not great basketball with a little, I think, more turnovers um, in the stretch where they lost, to, I think, four out of five. But a lot of it felt like to me that uh, guys weren't knocking down um, open threes. And I think the the fancy statistics about like expected shots to go in based on shot quality and the guy taking it like the Celtics were vastly underperforming during that kind of little losing stretch. So in this, it felt like guys um, kind of knocked down open shots, but it, it was all started from just Jason Tatum being in the absolute zone and just having a bonkers third quarter, 20 points, seven of 10 um, from the fields, two of four from deep made all four of his free throws and just, there was nothing the the Bucks could really do to stop them. The Bucks have the what second best defense in the league, and they really had no solution for Jason Tatum. Um, you could basically just do anything wanted because they're just going to drop back, and when he's hitting shots in the mid range, he is unstoppable. Yeah, and I felt like bef- before he got to that level of uh, shot making, he got himself some easy buckets, and there were a couple, especially in the first quarter that just kind of showed his evolution. Uh, There was one where he had Drew Holiday on him, again Holiday, and he he was going to hoop and got like an inch on Holiday. And and in the past, like that inch wouldn't have been enough. Tatum would not have been able to hold off Holiday. But this time he like got that inch and kept that inch and went and finished. Um, The Bucks. Like early on, it was pretty clear part of the game plan for Boston was like find out Horford, he'll be open, Brooke Lopez will be in the paint. And it felt like that opened things up after Horford hit a couple of threes early. Um, opened things up in the paint. I think the Celtics were 18 for 20 at the rim, which is not something you typically expect against the Bucks. Um some of that was in transition, but some of it was Jason Tatum's dunk over Giannis, um, which was just a great play. Like, uh, great play by Smart, by the way. Like, he had the open three. Uh, and just to dish it back to the cutting Tatum, I just thought it was, like, a great read on that to set that all up because no one would have really faulted him for taking a, an open three in the corner. He, Smart did not take a three in the entire game, which is insanity. Like, he always takes threes. He always takes sometimes too many threes. Since um, since coming back from whatever his injury, and I know that uh, not injury, it was illness, but two games, Marcus Smart, the point guard with the vision, has been pretty phenomenal. I feel like he's just the guy who gets them into their offense. The kind of the sequence that uh, won them the game against the Timberwolves was him on three straight possessions. It was like hitting Tatum for a backdoor cut, then finding Jalen Brown in transition off a make for a dunk and then finding Jalen Brown for another backdoor cut. Like Marcus Smart's passing ability has been on display these past two games. And he's just, he's done a really good job for because 
the stat you mentioned him not taking a three is pretty wild. Um, but it feels like he's really um, realized that like his best role in this offense, his what to make the team as best as possible, he needs to be a facilitator and get guys going. And I think he's just doing an amazing job of that. Yeah, I mean, he has nine shot attempts total over the last two games while averaging nine assists per game. And so his his level of point guardedness, uh, that was not a word. You're a professional writer. That was uh, swing and a miss, my friend. He is playing point guard at a high level right now and foregoing his own offense for better options in the offense. And that's kind of what you want out of him. And I also thought that Timberwolves game, especially, and the Bucks game too, he was very good defensively, but that Timberwolves game was just like vintage Marcus Smart defense. Um, he was tipping away lobs. He was uh, like just always in the right spot. He had the the save in the corner, I believe that was that game. Um, and just like for a six-point game, that was just one of the more complete games you'll see an NBA player have. Kind of reminded like a, a, a classic Draymond Green game in some ways where he's able to totally control a game without scoring. And, and that's rare, and that's something not a lot of guys can do, and that's something that smart just keeps getting better at is, you know, running the offense. And I do think he has brought the Celtics a level of poise and you look at the turnover numbers, just one turnover over the last two games combined. And, and that's a big deal for the Celtics when he's taking care of the ball, when, when he's really sharp, um, just decision-making wise, it, it brings them up another level because he's able to get them into what they want. He's able to get them to the right matchups. He's able to find Brown and Tatum for easy buckets that then get them going later in the game. Uh, So I think his last two games and and most of the season, honestly, um, but especially the last two games, he's just brought a, a real level of poise to their team. I feel like him and Tatum work really well together and smart does a good job of getting Tatum um, kind of those good looks, especially with the the plays that start with Tatum as the the screener and the pick and roll. I did like Joe Mazzullo was asked after the Christmas game about that kind of uh, that two man game connection. And he just goes coverage solution. They see coverage. They figure out a solution together. And it was just like real. Real sharp Joe Missoula answer that I appreciated, but it does feel like Tatum and Marcus Smart, especially with Tatum as the screener, they just figure out either ways to get the ball with Tatum going towards the rim uh, in space so he can kind of get those floaters or can make a pass. They can flip it with Marcus Smart kind of being the screener and he can make a pass at that situation. It just feels like the Celtics are running kind of their best offense when they can run sort of some sort of combination of that and then have both of those guys who are very good passers and probably two best passers on the team um, to just have a kind of four on three situation and make the right decisions. And so that feels like when the Celtics are playing their best kind of offense in the half court, it usually involves those two guys being in the action. Yeah. And, and sometimes smart will have to shoot more shots. Sometimes teams will defend the Celtics in a way that he really needs to take shots but 
but when he doesn't have to and and when he's able to just be that facilitator and and when he's able to just kind of unlock Tatum and Brown to do what they do that's probably peak Celtics there um and like I said it's not always going to be like that like smart needs to be a threat smart needs to be able to shoot uh he needs to capitalize when teams leave him wide open which they will sometimes but also he needs to figure out how to deal with that in ways sometimes that don't involve shooting and I just feel like like as a point guard last year he did it and he was good at it and they got to the finals um but it does feel like this year he's even at another level with regard to reading defenses um setting the Celtics up to do what they want to do and kind of keeping that steady throughout the game versus, you know, having some lulls like the Celtics have had at times in the past. Um, obviously, during that f- five, six game rut, there was some of that where they got out of who they are and who they want to be. But but for the most part, this has been like a stupid, consistent offense. And and smarts, smart really, really has a big impact on that, even though he's not going to be the one with the huge point totals all the time. Also, shout out to Marcus Smart getting engaged last night on Christmas, wearing matching pajamas with his bride to be. Uh, I, got, I got to know how he got in touch with Will Smith. Um, that's that's the biggest part of this. He did, did you see the video? I did, I actually I never uh, was curious enough to listen to the video. I just saw that it happened. So, what did Will Smith say? So, Will Smith, there was like a. <laughs> They showed a video of Will Smith from, I believe it was Antarctica. Naturally. Uh, telling Smart's fiance, like, you didn't get the Christmas gift you wanted, but you're going to get another gift or something. But there was a message from Will Smith. And then while she was watching the Will Smith message, Smart got down on his knee and proposed. And Classic uh, misdirection, using bigger stars to kind of be the focus of the offense, but you know what? You're still facilitating and getting the bucket. That's Marcus Smart Vision right there. That was Marcus Smart Vision. Um, so I don't know how we got in touch with Will Smith. Maybe they're friends. Maybe uh, Smart called in a favor from somebody. He certainly knows a lot of important people, but that was pretty cool. Maybe, pretty the, cool. maybe the defensive player of the year just gets like one celebrity favor and he picked the right time to call it in. Who knows? <laughs> see that that would have been a much better thing than just naming the awards after players <laughs> you it's just ha- get- having them come with with a celebrity favor where any celebrity in the world has to do whatever you want yeah i'm sure i'm sure adam silver in the nba has that kind of pull uh what is your takeaway from this game in terms of like a long-term matchup against the milwaukee bucks because bucks fans i'm sure will tell you whoa no chris middleton um, and I, I've, I saw somewhere online, uh, that Bucks fans, uh, and I guess maybe the Bucks organization are pulling some classic late 2000 Celtics and being like, we've never lost, uh, a playoff series with our full, uh, rotation. They're healthy. And which is true. The Bucks have never lost a playoff series with their full squad there, but, uh, didn't they lose to the Raptors when the Raptors won the finals? Were they not healthy? That wasn't the full. Did they oh, have Drew, Drew Holiday? Holiday Drew Holiday yet. wasn't there yet. You're right. I'm sorry. Uh, but this was an interesting game from the Bucks. There was no Chris Middleton. Uh, rather pedestrian, you know, 
12, uh, 9, and 3 from Giannis. It just felt like the, the Bucks didn't have that much juice uh, in the second half. Um, but Did it's you like say I, a pedestrian 27, 9, and 3? Yeah, that was a uh, one of those you know jokes people make because of the, the humor behind that because that's not very pedestrian at all. But with that being said, it, this didn't feel like the Giannis – he was nine of twenty-two from the field. It didn't feel like the the domination that we're kind of used to from Giannis at this point. Um, and I just don't know how much you can take away from this game, uh, because it, I don't know if it, like yes, they didn't have Chris Middleton, but it doesn't feel like the Bucks have that much of a bench. And maybe maybe that was my biggest takeaway from the game is that like the Bucks were bringing in like a very old Joe Ingles, Wes Matthews, who feel like he got targeted. Um, and why didn't Wes Matthews also get the very old title there? Uh, that's a good question. They're probably the same age. Maybe because uh, I was being, you know, just mean to Joe Ingles because he's white. I don't know. Um, th- thank you for calling me out on that. It's a good question. But the the big thing I noticed was like they're bringing those guys in off the bench, and the Celtics in this game brought in their first sub rotation was Grant Williams, Robert Williams, and Malcolm Brogdon. And it just felt like there's such an advantage there in terms of just basic depth. And so when Tatum went on that, like the crazy run in the the third quarter and the fourth quarter, there, there was really no let up from the Celtics as soon as they got that lead. And it felt like the Bucks, basically in the minutes that Giannis was not on the court that had no chance to have like any sort of sustained scoring and so that my was my biggest takeaway from the game is that the Celtics just have that much more depth but I don't know I feel like it's hard to judge with no Middleton and like I said a pedestrian Giannis performance yeah and and the Celtics were able to really limit Giannis's impact at the rim which was you know I, I wasn't I didn't think that would be the case, but he you didn't. Went. You didn't think Blake Griffin was going to be the key to slowing Giannis down for six minutes. I did not, but I was sitting next to our Bucks writer Eric Name at the game, and he he tells me that uh, Blake Griffin has always done a pretty good job because he'll flop and he's big and strong. Oh, that's all he needs to do. I was thinking that smart. too. He's just like he's he's smart and he's very willing to take a charge, and he doesn't need to guard you on the perimeter whatsoever. So it kind of makes sense. Yeah. Um, but uh, I definitely didn't expect to see Blake Griffin when they pulled him off the bench. I was kind of flabbergasted. But just two layups made for Giannis. Two for eight from inside the paint. And those numbers both feel like wins. Obviously, if he only makes two, that that's huge. But if he only takes eight shots from inside the paint, like you, for the most part, kept him away from what he does best the entire time. He was actually six for nine on mid-range shots which is like more than what he'll normally be. Um, But the Celtics took a pretty good shooting night from him, jump shooting wise, and were able to withstand it because they they limited what he does best. Um, And so, you know, you could see they just have, the Celtics just have bodies for Giannis. And I think if, if, if the matchup, First of all, I think these are the two best teams in the Eastern Conference. I think if they meet in the playoffs, anything could happen. Chris Middleton is a huge deal for the Bucs, and he hasn't played well since he came back from injury. But by the time the playoffs come, like he should be different than he has been early in his return from injury. Um, but 
the Celtics have a lot of bodies to throw at Giannis from Horford to Grant Williams. Um, Blake Griffin, they dusted him off. Uh, they, they are able to, like Marcus Smart, when necessary, has done a decent job in a pinch in the past, just trying to take like millions of charges on him. Um, and even like Tatum and Brown, when they're not going to guard Giannis all the time, but they have linked on the weak side, all that. And then the Bucks just don't have a lot of guys to guard Brown and Tatum. Um, Ingles is a pretty good defender when he's right, but like you said, he, he's old. Uh, he's coming off an injury too. Bucks fans seem really fucking mad at him um, for for not being great since he started playing for the team. <laughs> they're just they're just furious with Joe Ingles for not being the Joe Ingles of five years ago. Yeah, they are. They are really upset with Joe Ingles. Which like did you expect Joe? Because because they want more Marshawn Beauchamp minutes. Is that what they're clamoring for? I I think they they would like some more Beauchamp minutes, um, but I think more so there's just some frustration. Well, you know how fans get in the middle of a season. Like when teams lose a few games, just the most insane takes come out. The most insane people people who are. The same people who were calling for Joe Mazzulla to win Coach of the Year were calling for him to get fired like a week later. A week later. Um, but anyway, back to the Bucks celtics matchup. Um, like it, it just seems like they can get to the, the Grayson Allen matchup when they want. They can get to um, – they can get off Drew Holiday. And, and again, Middleton is, is a big piece of not just their offense but their defense too. So when he gets back – um, it'll change things for them. But that if the Celtics like have advantages, I think it's that. Like the Bucks just don't have a lot of guys who can guard Brown and Tatum individually. Their defense is still awesome. And during the playoffs, it gave the Celtics a lot of problems. Like they needed to figure things out throughout that series and didn't always do a good job of it. Um but but if you're looking for positives from the Celtics' perspective, it's that and the depth, like you said. Um, they just have a lot of starting caliber players, whereas the Bucks kind of just try to piece it together when when they have their bench in there. Although I love Javon Carter, he was talking r- absolute reckless shit to Peyton, <laughs> to Peyton Pritchard with like in the final three minutes <laughs> left, with like twenty seconds left of a twenty point game, and. It looked, like, it looked like Missoula told Pritchard, like, don't take a shot. And Pritchard was kind of like, come on, man. Like, let me go at him. <laughs> and uh, I, I did ask Pritchard about Javon Carter talking crap to him. And Pritchard loved it. Uh, he, he was a huge fan of That's Javon the only Carter. way to get Peyton Pritchard's respect is to talk shit to him in the final minutes of a blowout. Yes. Yeah, Peyton Pritchard loved that. He, he wants opponents to talk, talk reckless. Shit, shit to him although he did say he was like because i use the word reckless he's like i wouldn't say it was reckless but he was he was <laughs> definitely talking a lot <laughs> uh the other question i have right now is about where the celtics team can move forward can just considering their depth robert williams only played around 14 minutes in that game he's like a real game changer when he comes off the bench just in terms of um the vertical spacing we see him get some lobs we see just his, his gravity to the middle. I think they ran like a, a pick and roll for him and left Grant Williams wide open in the corner to knock down a three and just his presence around the rim on defense. 
But that being said, he like they still are trying to figure out like they're at their best offensively when they have five shooters out there. It's been interesting to see uh, Robert Williams on the offensive end in the half court offense just because I don't think it's looked as smooth. What do you think his progress has been like a, a week back? Um, and should we expect, I guess, more from him or is like is he still recovering from the injury, from surgery? Where do you see his progress so far? Yeah, I think individually, like, he's looked really good. Um, you know, he, he's running, he's he's jumping, he's he's affecting shots at the rim. He's he's more advanced than I thought he would be at this stage, considering how much time he took off. But for the Celtics, it's just a process of getting back this guy who totally changes the spacing, especially when they go to the bigger lineups. Um, I'm looking at the numbers right now. And Horford and Robert Williams have only played 23 minutes together, which isn't much, obviously. It's a super small sample size. But during those minutes, the Celtics have only scored 87.5 points per 100 possessions, which is totally disgusting offense. Like far, 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 far below what they average as a team for the season. Um, And so they just need to figure things out. I asked Joe Mazzulla about it before the game, and he said, like, spacing and screening was what he said. And basically, because teams are going to guard Robert Williams differently, because they're going to lay off him, because sometimes they blitz off him when he's in the action, like, the Celtics are just needing to deal with different types of things than they have all this all the season so far. Uh, so it's just going to be a learning process, reincorporating him. Um, Do you think that their best – five-man lineup though is like assuming like everyone's playing to their ceiling like the Celtics are playing at their best do you think it's both having him and Al Horford on the court because it does feel like their best offense this year has been when they can go five out but unquestionably like the the league's best defense last year was having Robert Williams out there like that's when I think they're at their highest defensive potential um I'm just trying to figure out like what do you think they're the the best compromises where they can have a a good two way lineup because clearly Robert Williams um, you want him out there just as his impact as a shot blocker um, but maybe is it like Robert Williams surrounded by four shooters I'm not necessarily counting Al Horford in that um, or is it just you know trying to figure out how to have those those two guys together Yeah, I think part of it is figuring out how to get them together, but part of it is just having more lineup flexibility. And you see the Celtics, like, they've used Tatum a lot to guard centers, especially of late. Like, they had Tatum match up against Rudy Gobert during the Timberwolves game. And I think that was to basically, like, when Rudy was in ball screens. That was to give Tatum the night off because Rudy Gobert stinks. My God. But it was to be able to switch ball screens and also have Al Horford to roam off – Jaden McDaniels, who's not super comfortable as a shooter, even though he's had made a pretty high percentage this year. And Horford had a bunch of blocks. Horford was able to impact stuff off the weak side. And Tatum's ability to do that, to defend Gobert, he then guarded Brooke Lopez in the Bucks game, which allowed Horford to guard Giannis. And, and so that's important to, to allow the Celtics to play small and still be sturdy defensively. Um and so they, it just feels like they have more options of of how to play different ways now. And, and they're more comfortable with not just having different players on the court and different lineups, 
but also trying different things with those lineups on the court. Um, so I think the the Tatum against big guys thing has has stood out to me recently. Um, but yeah, obviously Robert Williams, when he's on the court with Al Horford, that's going to be their best defensive duo. And figuring out the offense with that is is going to be a challenge. Uh, and it's something they figured out last year. Like for the most part, last year their offense was good to very good with those two guys on the court. Their offense has been great most of this season with smaller lineups. Um, and so they just have to kind of figure out how to how to balance all that stuff out. Well, it's a good thing the season starts on Christmas. They got all this time before the playoffs to uh, to be able to figure it out and the uh, people are healthy. Uh, before we get to the calls, I just want to bring up um, – we haven't – feels like we haven't talked about him a lot, but Jalen Brown had a tremendous fourth quarter against the Bucks, but a, an even better fourth quarter against the Timberwolves after what he described as the worst three quarters of his career. I think that might have been a little bit of hyperbole against the Timberwolves, but – uh, 23 points in the fourth quarter, uh, certainly, uh, did a, a lot of scoring and uh, closing out the game against the Bucks. Uh, I think he's had a, a kind of an up and down stretch over here over this homestand, but just his ability to knock down shots from, from distance. I just thought, you know what, as the second star of this team as a guy who's just scoring, um, you know, can regularly score 30 points a night. He deserves to be highlighted just in terms of, um, there's really nothing any teams can do when both of these guys, uh, both Jalen and Jason, are uh, like knocking down shots. But he was a big reason for uh, both of these two victories. Just his his fourth quarter scoring, especially. Yeah the the outburst against Minnesota was just so sudden. Like Jalen, that game, uh, like Anthony Edwards had a. At Anthony Edwards is good, man. He's effortless with his ability to score the basketball. That, that was I was impressed with him uh, seeing him in person. When he's shooting, when he's making threes, there's just not much you can do with him because he is super athletic. He is extremely strong. Um, man, he started making threes, but one one play during that game, it looked like Joe Missoula got so pissed. Jalen kind of backed off Anthony Edwards after Anthony Edwards was already hot in transition and Edwards just drilled a three and looked like Missoula said something to Jalen. Jalen said something back to Missoula. And so Jalen was in just kind of a funk. And then all of a sudden you look up and he's got 36 points for the game, 23 in the fourth, fourth quarter. And it's like, Oh, okay. <laughs> like, where did that come from? Um, but he's always capable of that. And, and yeah. And then the, the Bucks game, it was like, Tatum throughout the third quarter, and then, and then Jalen in the fourth quarter, and and when you have two guys who do that in the same game, it's just kind of like the other team. You just got to kind of tip your cap sometimes. Uh, that was that was like that's just a lot to deal with when Tatum gets going like he did, and then Jalen gets going like he did. Um, there's just a lot you got to deal with. All right, we go to the phone lines now. I believe this is um, famous Middleton and Aaron Neesmith whisperer Richard D. I'm hoping it is. Richard, thank you for joining us here on Anything is Potable. How are you doing? Hey, guys. How you been? Doing well. How are you, Richard? Long time, no talk. I know. I still keep up with you guys. And, uh, you know, it's funny because um, 
Yeah, Chris is definitely still hurt. He's trying to work his way back into shape, and um, he's going to be fine, but he's just like, as you guys saw, I mean, he's just not ready. He just, he's he's physically healed, but he's got to get some, he's got to get in playing shape, and, and uh, he'll be fine. So you, you nailed it. Come playoffs, he'll be fine. But right now, anything he does, I mean, you could tell they're just not the same without him. But but even, even let's just say even with him at, at at full strength, I just think this Celtics team is um, it's a little bit different. Like I, I think it's going to be a good series when they do meet. It should be fun. Uh, great to hear your voice again, man. Come uh, on out. Don't hang up yet. We got Aaron. Uh, so I just want to tell you. So when Aaron um, Aaron was here on the golf course, you probably read about it, and he got the phone call from from Brad Stevens and just saying, "Hey, man, I love you. This another fresh start." And remember, I told you all last year. It's kind of like what happened. Well, Chris, he started out with Detroit, and now, um, you know, Rick's Rick's playing him. I still don't think Aaron is where he's going to be, right? I, I, I still think he's, he's you know, but he's starting. He's doing well. But, man, he circled that game. He circled that game day one, and he told his teammates, I don't care. We only win one game. We're winning that game. And, uh, you know, he, he's got a little bit of – you know, he's got a little bit of um, umph with that team. You know, we'll see where it goes. But for right now, they I felt like they won that game for him is what I was getting to. That's cool. That kid's a maniacal competitor. Like, he's just always, always has energy. Uh, what did you think of the dunk by Tatum? Oh, oh man, I'm, I, hey, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. That, <laughs> that was beautiful. And then, then, you know what? Hey, be careful if you, when you poke the bear, right? You know, and then and, uh, and he knew what he was getting into, and I will say I, I did like that he had the one point is plus minus Aaron's was twenty one, and then towards the end it's almost like oh shit, we might win, you know, and then uh, then they they just look like almost deer in the headlight trying to hang on to that thing, and, and of course Jason Tatum was Jason Tatum, he he gave him what he asked for. <laughs> <laughs> It is great to hear your voice again, man. Yeah, uh, man, and, and hopefully next year I'm gonna have. We'll see how it plays out. But I got two more kids coming up. Uh, Josiah James is at Tennessee, and then the one I think is going to surprise a lot of people is this kid Jalen Slauson that's at Furman. Uh, he stayed for an extra year. Super, super athletic kid. He's going to do great in the combine. What, what have you? But um, I, I think he's a kid that you know might go like second round to the. But I, my point is, I love to. I'd love to get another kid on the Celtics, so I got the reason to call you guys every week. I just, <laughs> I just want to say hello. Still keep up with you. Appreciate, Appreciate it. it. Happy holidays, my man. Same to you. All right, guys. Take care. From one celebrity caller, Richard D., the South Carolina Neesmith Middleton Whisperer, to the to the next biggest celebrity caller, Joshua B. Happy holidays, Joshua B. Come on down. What do you got for us today? Oh, I've got all kinds of fun stuff for you today. Um, yeah, first off, um, I wanted to thank Richard D for letting us all know about Chris Middleton. Um, I'm getting to the point where I'm starting to think that Chris Middleton is the primary like hope and savior for the rest of the NBA. Because all I ever hear about on Twitter is how everything would have been different had Chris Middleton just played last year. Yeah, everything would have been different had he just played last game. It wouldn't have mattered that the Celtics shot 48.7% from three-point range, that's what, I, that's what I'm talking about. That's the way that, like, 
that's the reason why we are so much better than the Bucks. Bucks don't defend the three point. That's fine. Give us batting practice three pointers all day long, and we will hit them all day long. Also, the the Bucks actually guard the three point arc better these days. I I got to give them a little credit. They they've changed. They've adapted. Forty-eight point seven percent reasons that they don't. <laughs> <laughs> percentage reasons. I like percentage reasons. <laughs> this fractional reason. I heard. I, I heard. Um, I heard your solo pod, Jay. Um, until um, Sam got on at the very end, and I thought about reaching out to you in that moment, but I thought it better to just remind you that you predicted all of this prior to the season starting. And when I say all of this, I'm. I'm a genius. The lesson, as always, I'm a genius. <laughs> you are when it comes to the Robert Williams prediction. You said out loud with your voice that they were going to struggle with <laughs> and, and your chest. Robert Williams. You said it. You said it like over and over and over again. And then lo and behold, he comes back and they drop two games to the match. They drop a third to like Indiana. What did everybody expect? Exactly what you told them to expect when you said it over and over and over and over and over again. So props to you. And now what's happening? Robert Williams is playing 12 minutes off the bench. Joe Missoula is making better rotations. And if we shoot 48.7% from three, which we are capable of doing, we are unstoppable. So I will end with this question, which is that for the moment that Chris Middleton comes back and he's fully healthy, how does that solve the problem that Giannis continues to have um, with the, with the defensive likes of Grant Williams and, um, Grant Williams and Al Horford. Thanks for taking my calls, guys. Yeah, I, I don't think Giannis typically has that many problems against the Celtics. Uh, he's usually an absolute force regardless of who he's playing against. And they, they are able to limit his efficiency in a way that not many opponents can do. They are able to throw bodies at him and 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 give him different looks. Um, they held him to a 45.7% field goal shooting in the Eastern Conference semifinals last year, which doesn't seem like a lot until you realize that is one of the worst playoff series percentage-wise he's ever had. Um, but still, like that, that guy is just amazing. And, and when Middleton is back and when Middleton is right, he's going to alleviate some of the pressure on Giannis and he's going to make it so that you can't send quite as much help and can't focus as much on him. Um, but yeah, the uh, it, it's just a great day today because day after Christmas, you could convince yourself that the holiday cheer is is disappearing, but then we just get Richard D and and we get Josh and and then you realize the holiday spirit never goes away. It certainly, uh, certainly does not. We even have a, a fan from right now from Germany, Leonard R, turning in all the way from Germany. Leonard, thank you for joining us internationally here on Anything Is Potable. Hello, I got one question, and um, I never been to Boston, so I was wondering if players seem to like to live in Boston, especially compared to other cities. That's a good question. Out of left field, thank you for calling in from Germany, Leonard. Jay, I'll let you answer this one. I think they like it. I think they would prefer that it's not as cold. Uh, but guys seem to like it, and guys definitely appreciate the 
the history of the organization and the the passion of the fan base. And that can be tough to deal with sometimes. It can definitely be over the top after some losses. Um, but in in totality, I think guys really appreciate living in a city where where people care so much and and where it really matters to a lot of different people. So good question from Leonard. And we also you were also in the comments section saying kind regards from Germany. You are the best. So thank you. We appreciate you. Wow. Jay King just trying to subtly get into the fact that he reads the comments section now. I know that don't don't think you can sneak that one past me, Jay. I I've I've been chastised by the people. And like any any real Kaizen believer, I I improve and I get better. And you learn from your mistakes, you lean into failure, and you, you get better from it. And that's what we're, we're all doing um, here as, as true Kaizen warriors. Right now, we're going to go to Hirsch. Hirsch S., thank you for joining us here on Anything's Potable. How are you doing, Hirsch? Good, good. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, so, you know, everyone seems to think that the Celtics and Bucks are destined to face one another in the playoffs. But I think the Bucks have some work to do to get there because I keep hearing from all the Bucks fans that games only count when Middleton plays. So checking the record, they actually only have four wins on the season. <laughs> um, but my, my question kind of relates to that. You know, if uh, in case you haven't noticed, the East has gotten pretty tight. Brooklyn surging. Philly's playing really well. Even the, the Knicks have kind of found their way to mediocrity somehow. Um, we're going to have to play some of these other teams in the playoffs. Do any of these other guys worry you a lot uh, in a specific matchup? That's a good question. Uh, what is – I mean, I still think the Bucks are the best team up there with the Celtics in the Eastern Conference. I think those are the two best teams. The way the East is shaping up, there are a lot of teams that are going to be a tough out. Like Cleveland – has the Jared Allen and Mobley down low. They've got Mitchell and Garland, both capable of making shots at just awesome levels. Um, Brooklyn has found something with Durant and Kyrie. And I know Josh is sitting there just stewing right now because, <laughs> because I'm complimenting other teams. Uh, the, the one that stands out to me probably is, is Philadelphia. Um, and I don't really, like, I still want to see it from Philadelphia. I still want to see them get past the second round of the playoffs and have the same success in the postseason that they do in the, the regular season. But Embiid is just playing at such a high level. And for the Celtics, um, the way he's able to put fouls on guys and if the Celtics aren't fully healthy in that series, and say Al Horford's missing time or Robert Williams is missing time, like his ability to put guys in foul trouble could could really be an issue. Um, so I just think Melton has been great for them, um, and and I kind of I kind of see them as as one of the teams that could really give that could make a run in the playoffs, um, even though we haven't really seen it before. Yeah, the other I think the Cavs. Um, this is probably just because they've handed the Celtics two losses this year, but I do think that they having Mobley and Allen 
basically just forces the Celtics to play bigger. And as we've discussed earlier in the episode, just like their offense looks um, just not as good when they don't have as much, like they can't run the smaller lineups out there. And so um, I think in just in terms of a matchup, a team that will force the Celtics to play bigger, I think just uh, is kind of the most concerning thing. I, I think the Celtics would be favored in any kind of series against the the Cavs or the Sixers uh, at this point, but just in terms of potential concerns down the line, um, any team that like just forces the Celtics to not have their best offense out there, I think is um, one that is some cause for concern. The Eastern Conference standings are kind of crazy right now. I mean, the NBA standings are kind of crazy right now. I guess that's true, but the East, there are five teams within three games of number one. Uh, Celtics are a game and a half up on both the Bucks and Cavaliers. It's like the Celtics and Bucks hit a rut at the same time as everyone else in the conference just started winning every game. So it bunched up the standings when for a while it looked like Boston and Milwaukee were just going to run away from the rest of the conference. Now it's now it's tight. Well, it's just as tight in the Western Conference where the top eight teams are within four games uh, of first place. Uh, parody in the NBA. It's back, baby. That's why they play the games. The regular season might matter. Crazy, crazy stuff out there. Maybe. Maybe Ma- not, though. Uh, all right. That's all the observations I have. You have any? Uh, you ready to get to some junk? Let's get to some junk. Um, all right. Huge contrast between Friday night, you know, not a big game, and Christmas nationally televised anthem singers. On Christmas, we got Fran Rogers. And man, can that guy sing. That guy's got some pipes. That guy puts on a hell of an, an angel. hell of an anthem every single time. I'm not going to say anything negative he, about the Friday night anthem, but it wasn't it was no Fran Rogers, let me tell you that much. Fran Rogers may sing the perfect national anthem because not only does he have a great voice that really projects and has volume, but he also doesn't make it about himself. You know, he just sings a classic version of the national anthem. Yeah, he's not at a high level. He's not out there trying to like hit the high notes and like get the, get the glory for himself. He's there to, to honor the anthem and he just kills it every single time. So shout out to Fran Rogers. Uh, Just a beautiful, beautiful voice on that lad. Glorious voice. Uh, just had a hilarious uh, Jumbotron moment on the Celtics game. These two brothers were on the Jumbotron. They were trying to get on. And then the older brother, once they got on the Jumbotron, just kissed the younger brother on the cheek, totally embarrassing him. A uh, wild card move for the Jumbotron, uh, but I liked it. I, that's my kind of goof. Uh, came out of left field. How do you um, know they were brothers? They looked very much alike, except uh, four years apart. Uh, I didn't know they were brothers, but... It's funnier to me if they are. All right. We'll, we'll go with it then, I guess. Do you think Jalen Brown has the most attempted homicides in the league? Like, it feels like when he really... Like, Tom Morant's up there, too. But I feel I, like if the key in that phrase, though, is attempted, because I feel like Jalen misses a lot of dunks where he really tries to go after people. Like, he... I can't remember the last one he really connected on, but I do remember a bunch where he's like, oh... He was going for the kill shot here and slammed the ball into the back of the rim. And that happened again against the Bucs. Yeah, it, it takes a certain type of maniac to see Brooke Lopez stand under the rim and think, yup, yup, <laughs> this, this is my time. And I don't know, like, 
I don't know how he missed it. Yeah, I don't. It just he got too excited. I mean, I, I would be real jazz going up for that dunk. Uh, but it I, feels I like it happens a lot for uh, a lot for Jalen. I can't really identify with the. <laughs> you don't. You don't have that moment in 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 midair when you're about to yam on someone. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I guess I'm probably not the one to ask why he missed that one. I'm. I just. I just watch. I should just watch and observe, and tip my cap to an attempted homicide. Um, speaking of uh, you know physical shenanigans, two texts on the Bucks for for physical taunts. Uh, not a phrase I've heard thrown out there before, but we, the Bucks got two of them. Bobby Portis, uh, got one for, I don't know exactly what he did, but a, a physical taunt tech, uh, and then Giannis got one later in the game. Have you ever seen the physical taunt tech before? I don't, it's, it's not a term you hear all the time. Uh, cause Grant it wasn't, Williams, it wasn't a vocal taunt. It was a physical one. Grant Williams did not believe that. Bobby Portis should have gotten called for that tech for the record. And he's right. Um, t- I, Giannis should have gotten called for the tech, his physical taunt, uh, which started a, a, a nice little brouhaha, a pleasant exchange of ideas between Jalen Brown and Giannis. I do like after that, Marcus Smart somehow uh, found his way to the bench and him and Thanasis uh, had, had a pleasant, pleasant exchange of ideas of their own where um, Marcus invited Thanasis to to have a to, to continue their discussion uh, in the locker room or just outside the locker room. I I'm not sure what Thanasis Antetokounmpo does other than this types of shenanigans, but I like I feel like he plays his role well, so I'm kind of here for it. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of the Thanasis experience. That's all I got. Like that's <laughs> all right. Yeah, me too. Uh, let's uh, let's move on. Um, Robert Williams just loves jumping. So much that he'd had one of the worst fouls ever fouling Joe in- Ingles on a transition three, but like he had a chance to maybe block the shot. And I just love like he attacked Joe Ingles just because that guy loves jumping. The guy, the guy's a jumping machine. He is. He is. Uh, okay. Red Panda, you have waffled on. No, there, on there has Red been Panda. no waffling. There has been no waffling. I, I, I put out, I gave her an ultimatum, and she was she performed at a finals game. I've been hard on her over the years. I've I've pointed out that she has one trick, and lately she's been missing it a lot. And so I, I missed I've been her uh, missed critic. missed four bowls again here on Christmas. I've been her biggest critic. I have been a hater, one of the few in a land of red panda appreciation. I stood out as a lone dissenter along with you. But I, she she won me over in the finals. When she needed it, in the biggest stage, she was flawless. And that just speaks to her resilience, her confidence, her unwillingness to be deterred by years of... Of, of doing the same trick over and over again. I look, it's mighty talented. I can't get on a unicycle and flip five bowls onto my head. The fact that she's even nailed that trick once is mighty impressive. But she's been doing the same trick 
for the better part of a decade now. And I, I think I've discovered the problem. There's no one else out there pushing her to be better, to innovate. Where is the, the next person on an extra tall unicycle flipping six bowls onto their head? Flipping, you know, uh, a, you know, juggling chainsaws. Where is the next unicyclist? Because it's like Red Panda has no no competition in training camp. Like she just knows she has the starting role. And I feel like that's it's not Red Panda's fault that she's fat and happy on top of that unicycle because no one's pushing her to be better. And so I think the NBA needs to develop some sort of G League or something to to kind of get it. Like we have we have dogs catching frisbees. <laughs> the that's- G League of of. <laughs> Of unicyclists who throw balls on top of their heads. We need something. I mean, like, she knows she's better than, like, Amazing Sladek's been doing the same thing just for years. But we need new new acts at halftime to kind of push these legends to be better. Because right now, it's just Red Panda just sitting on her laurels just being like... What about this? What if we start having two side two halftime acts at the same game? A little bit of a competition, see who's and better. A competition, and and it's it, we can't have the fans base it because the fans they don't know enough. They don't no, we, know we, enough we need an to, independent panel of experts. They don't know enough to boo when Red Panda fails. You know, they, they just keep cheering her and cheering her and love it no matter what. We need a panel of experts to like like figure skating to to grade them on on a scale of one to ten and determine. Who's the winner? And, and that way, the competition will rise, the stakes will rise, and and new halftime acts will be born. It's as a way to spice up NBA All Star Game too. Like you have the dunk competition, then you have the halftime uh, entertainment competition. But then what if what if someone overcomes Red Panda, and then she has to make her routine even more difficult? Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. Then Red Panda comes out and it's like, oh. You thought I was done? Seven bowls ready to flip them right now. That's like, I want her to elevate her game. That's my problem with, right? Red Panda is clearly a talent. She's top of her field in terms of tall unicycle bowl flipping. But if, if, if Red Panda came to town, if she was charging admission, no one's coming to her show anymore because everyone's seen her do that trick. I need to see innovation from Red Panda. And the only way I can see that is through competition. Someone needs to be pushing her to add something to her game. That's all Those I'm saying. Those bowls need to be lit on fire. Exactly. The bowls need to be lit on fire. The bowls need to be glad. Like when the bowls uh, fall to the ground now, nothing happens. They don't shatter. I need something uh, to elevate the Red Panda performance because frankly, it's the same performance I've been seeing for a decade now. I'm with you. But she she's a legend and deserves her due. All right. Uh, Grant Williams. Walker Wiggle? Sure. Dimitri Shuffle. Uh, what (laughs) yeah so he did it for he said his guy dimitri um recently recovered from a brain tumor and he told dimitri that he was going to do that celebration after one of his threes grant forgot to do it after the first three forgot to do it after the second and then remembered to do it made a third three did the dimitri shuffle so it was a pretty cool moment i was i was surprised too i thought it was a walker wiggle um but Grant informed us it was actually the Dimitri Shuffle. No, oh, shout out to Grant. I was out there pregame. Um, he signed every single fan's autograph there. Little Grant definitely in the Christmas spirit, uh, giving out gifts to all of the the Celtics staff too. He's the most uh, he brings the most holiday cheer out of any of the Celtics. I would say. 
Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Luke Cornett. Luke Cornett told Merry Christmas to everyone on his way out of the locker room last night. Uh, Marcus Smart got engaged. So how can you say that Grant Williams has the most holiday spirit when, when these other guys are also giving, spreading a lot of holiday cheer? That's fair. Um, to close out, I brought myself my own holiday cheer. I don't know if I should be. Tell me if this was an outrageous move, Jay. Uh, I it's was going to be an outrageous move. I okay. already tell you. Okay. Well, I was in the the, the pro shop uh, before the the game uh, on Christmas. You know, maybe looking for something to buy my little three year old nephew. They didn't have a lot of great kids thing, uh, but I found a shirt that on the front just says "Love and Trust." And, you know, I was surprised to see the Celtics embracing the love and trust thing for their own merch. But I thought it was a good move. Uh, You know, I was like instantly drawn to this T-shirt, a big love and trust fan. It's made by Mitchell and Ness. $50 T-shirt. 5-0. And I bought it. Am I an idiot? Yes, you're an idiot. Uh, (laughs) But Mitchell and Ness is not. They 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 knew for the the love and trust connoisseurs, such as yourself, that no no price tag would be too high. Well, here's the thing: it says like love and trust, and in smaller font, it has world. It says world like Celtic pride world tour on it, and then on the back, it's like a like a classic concert tee where it has all the the dates of like where that the Celtics pride world tour uh, came in, and it has. All of the championships as like the first home game when then the Russell era began. Um, Paul Pierce drafted. And the final thing is just says love and trust. And it was the day Marcus Smart got drafted. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, that's a pretty, a pretty cool T-shirt. Uh, they have the, t- the trade with Brooklyn's on there. Here's the thing. They have three, they have three dates titled The Steal. And I'm only aware of two steals. Am I an idiot? If you could name the three the steals in Celtics history, what would they be? Uh, Havlicek stole the ball. Uh, Larry Bird to Dennis Johnson. Those are the two I had. What's the other date on this thing? So they have, I don't even think they have Havlicek. Well, they have the Steel 1.0 happened in April of 1965. That feels like too early for Havlicek. Then they have another one in 84, which I thought the one was Dennis Johnson. And then they have another, they have the Steel 3.0 in 87. And I just don't know what the Steel 3.0 is because they lost the finals in 87. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure, but that, that just goes to show that history history favors the winners. I don't get- remember the steal of 87 when they lost because... Because I wasn't alive yet. Yeah, and there are more important steals that happen when they won. Such All as right. Havlicek stole the ball, which was in 1965, by the way. Okay, that is the steal 1.0. Okay. I am all right. Just to confirm, uh, I am an idiot. I did spend fifty dollars on a T-shirt, um, but you know what? It was it was a little Christmas gift uh, to myself, just because uh, you know I thought it was cool. I thought it was a cool shirt, J. King. That shirt was a steal too. They stole from you. <laughs> they they did. They did. Um, any other junk from you? 
I am not the creator of junk. I just react to your junk. That sounds a little weird. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's just how it goes. That is how it goes. Uh this is what we, you and I do. We hear, we come on, talk about Celtics basketball. We talk about some nonsense, uh, and we do it for about an hour. You just did an hour long podcast. Thank you guys for oh, listening. Oh, I've got a little bit of junk. Right it's as I'm about to go junk. into the close. All right, let's do it. Let's hear. Sorry, it. I, I forgot some some junk that the people need to know. In uh, after the win against the Timberwolves, I believe. Yeah, it was a win against the Timberwolves. Fiondu Kabangeli wore overalls that game and most most nights when a, an nba player wears overalls he's going to be the only player in the league wearing overalls <laughs> most nights yes however dylan brooks showed up to the grizzlies game that night wearing overalls with nothing underneath um or at least no shirt underneath and so i i, <laughs> I showed cobbingelli the Dylan Brooks picture on his way out of the locker room. And he said, who the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> and after informed it was Dylan Brooks, he said, oh, that's my inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> and he went and from then, having no idea who it was to listing him as his inspiration. And then he walked out of the locker room. And it was it was a beautiful moment to me. Uh, I thought it was pretty funny how he went from not recognizing Dylan Brooks. I didn't recognize Dylan Brooks either. I've watched Dylan Brooks play basketball a million times. But seeing him, something about seeing a man shirtless with with nothing underneath his overalls, uh, it just throws you for a loop a little bit. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think that's uh, a brilliant place to end. What what is going to take Jay for us to see you out there, overalls, no undershirt? <laughs> that would take a lot. Uh, <laughs> That would take a whole lot. But, oh, we, we also have to discuss David Power, who's just a legend. David Power. Oh, uh, yeah, the man. The man, David Power. Very nice. He was talking, we, like, he was the one spreading the most holiday cheer uh, out of anyone in that building on uh, Christmas. Yeah, that was so cool. So, I looked, I, I don't know how I, like, I looked up and there was someone like waving. For some reason, I knew he was waving to me. Like it was a <laughs> crowded basketball game. I didn't recognize this person. Um, but for some reason, I knew he was waving to me. And David Power, bless his soul. He he got me and Packard both uh, gift cards to Dunkin' Donuts, even though I've never met the man. He's just a listener who wanted to thank us for podcasting. And so that honestly, like, really warmed my heart, and I really appreciated it. So thank you very much, man. You did not have to do that at all, but please know it was deeply appreciated, and uh, it touched me. Yeah, sentimental Jay uh, is not uh, what you normally see after a game, but uh, pleasantly touched by the 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 gesture. It was fantastic. I used it to get some coffee to bring some energy for this game so shout out to david power and shout out to all the listeners out there uh we really do this for you guys it's kind of a luxury to be able to just come on here and talk celtics and um actually have people listen and it's awesome to know that people appreciate it so uh just genuine thanks to everyone who's out there and listening and enjoys it and 
shares it with their friends and everything like that. You make following the Celtics fun and, you know, it's not every... There's no reason I should exist. Like, I'm just a guy who's a fan of the Celtics and yells about it on podcasts. But um, thanks to listeners out there and for Jay for putting up for me uh, because this is an incredibly uh, lucky thing that I get to do. And so I just appreciate everyone who's uh, who appreciates uh, the pod we put out. Bless all your souls. Bless is, them all. Is being gracious potable, Jay? Not usually because I'm not a gracious <laughs> motherfucker, but we proved today that Grace, Grace can win the day. Grace can win the season. Grace can can win your heart. And we continue to prove that uh, anything is potable, folks. Anything is potable. Amazing. <laughs> I'm so glad that I didn't press the end room button, so we got to hear that. I'll stop there. All right, people. Anything is potable, folks.